Welcome to another episode of Doable Discipleship. My name's Doug, and I'm joined by... Rob Jacobs. Welcome back, dude. Thanks, brother. Today shall be fun. We're talking about the mind some more. Jason and I touched on that last week and kind of began that conversation. Blew some minds, really. I like to think we did. Yeah, that was powerful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today we're continuing that conversation. Uh, if, you already know if you've been watching the show at all that we're going through Heart, Soul, Mind, Strength, Mark twelve thirty. So go back and listen to previous episodes if you haven't. Especially listen to last week's because it's the stage setter for this week. So make sure you take the time to do that. Um, but Jesus commands us to love God in these four big areas, and the mind is one of them. We especially focused on Romans 12, 2 last week, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Yeah, that's so good. You know, we're, we're called to, um, as Christians, we need to be people who are really engaging our minds, not turning off our minds. Yeah. Um, and so there's this piece, and you guys talked about this last week, of cultivating the mind, but also protecting the mind. It brings mm-hmm. to mind the verse from Philippians 4.8, which talks about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, mm-hmm. whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's anything excellent, if there be anything of praise, think, think yeah. about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, we talked about protecting and cultivating. Today, we're going to focus on the cultivating side. Uh, so how do I what kind of inputs will help my mind become healthier, stronger, more fortified over time? On the spiritual maturity team, when we talk about the idea of the mind as, you know, of the four heart, soul, mind, strength, we use the term essential knowledge. Right. So what are the things that a Christian has to know in order to live the Christian life? One thing we said last week is that you can't, you can't live like Jesus if you don't learn to think like Jesus. Right. Because your doing flows from thinking. Like your, your beliefs and your, your view on the world dictates how you respond with your actions and attitudes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It all flows from that. And so, um, yeah, we, we talked about inputs, essential knowledge, and today we're going to be joined by a very special guest to help Come us on. break that down. Why don't you go ahead and intro him? Well, we have a uh, teaching pastor here at Saddleback, Tom Holiday, who's going to be joining us, and uh, he's going to help us go into this, and we're going we're to have a great conversation. I know you guys will love it, so stick around. We're back with Tom Holiday. Thanks so much for coming, Tom. Good to be here. How are you doing to today? Be here. Nothing better to talk about than spiritual maturity. You got that yes. right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for making time for us. Really appreciate it. We know you have a choice in podcast recordings, and we appreciate that you chose this one. <laughs> this is one of the finer podcast <laughs> recordings, yes. Oh, well, thank you. We're, we're, yeah. yeah. We're almost caught up to your 20 million downloads. <laughs> yeah. million downloads really gaining on you here. Oh, man. Tom, one of the things you're known for at Saddleback is being a champion of doctrinal study. You want people to know the truth about God. Can you explain a little bit about how that passion developed for you over time? Well, it's it's always been a passion. Before I came to Saddleback, I uh, had done a series of doctrinal studies for the church that I was in hmm. 10 years before Saddleback. So when I first came to Saddleback, I was the spiritual maturity pastor. We have a very great spiritual maturity pastor now at Saddleback, who's much better <laughs> than those, on your than, than the those early days. <laughs> Riding your coattails. Uh, and so I, had, I actually had two jobs when I first came. Rick hmm. said, I want you to do two things. Uh, you need to teach doctrine to these guys because... They're all brand new believers. As mm. most of you know, uh, most of the believers at Saddleback were baptized here as adults, so they didn't go through doctoral training as children or yeah. Sunday school or any of those kinds of things. So he said, mm. I want to teach them doctrine. And he said, I want to uh, also, you need to lead our small groups. Mm. At that time, our small groups were in our spiritual maturity team. So I thought I'd put them together. I thought yeah. I'd, you know, put, I'd do doctrine in the small groups. So that way it would work for everybody. Yeah. Worst mistake I ever made. It was terrible. <laughs> it didn't, Why was it, that? Well, a couple reasons. One, I was trying to turn all the small group leaders into teachers, mm-hmm. not only teachers, but teachers of doctrine, which can yeah. be hard to teach. They yeah. didn't like me for that. I mean, I would master teach it for them, but like, it's okay, you get an hour and then you got to go teach everybody else. And it sounded great when I did it, but now they're mm-hmm. in this other group and they're trying to teach it. And it's very hard to teach doctrine in a group of eight or 10. Yeah. Because that's a relational discussion format. Mm-hmm. And when you're teaching doctrine, you you have to have some moments of saying, "Look, here's the truth," right. you know, and then your mind starts to deal with it. But in the right. discussion format, you you know, God is three and one, and somebody goes, 
I've always thought of God as two. I don't know. (laughs) It just feels better to me for him to be two. You can't look at him and say, you're a heretic. Out of the group. You you just can't do that. Right. So that didn't, and we didn't have the ability to do video in groups at that time, which does provide for a more, a stronger teaching presence. Yeah. And so it just didn't work at all. When a master teacher (laughs) just says, okay, now go do what I just, go do (laughs) what I just did, that can freak a small group leader out. So that's why we developed foundations, where we actually brought people Mm -hmm. in and, uh, did a study of each of the major doctrines. Yeah. Oh, we happen plug. to have that yeah. right here. Yeah. Which tens of thousands of members of Saddleback have been through. I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah. And because, uh, I mean, the material is just basic doctrine material, mm-hmm. tried to be uh, as simple as possible. But we've just emphasized it again and yeah. again over the years because we believe in the importance hmm. of people knowing the truth. Absolutely. And, I, you know, when you talk about doctrine, you know, people talk about teaching and what do you need and uh, I think a lot of people know that on the weekends, we do teaching that revolves around life issues at Saddleback, how to be a better parent, how to do a better job in your business, right. how to handle anger, how to handle... Uh, we also, though, teach people the Word. We go through the Scriptures, we go through the Bible book by book, because you need that for your spiritual health. And we also go through doctrine. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've found that sometimes doctrinal studies answer the other questions that people don't know they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, a guy that's having a struggle being a parent. He may not know he needs to understand the sovereignty of God, but that's really his biggest hmm. struggle right. because he's worried all the time. Yeah. He feels like it's all on my shoulders to make sure this child's okay. And of course, a lot's on his shoulders, but in the end, mm-hmm. it's the sovereignty of God that he's got to trust in. Right. You know, otherwise, he's going to be anxious all the time. So many, many, many times, doctrinal answers help us with the life issues that are the most important things. Wow. Yeah, that's true. That's powerful. Well, one of the things that we've appreciated so much about foundations, and if and if any of you guys out there haven't haven't taken foundations, would encourage you to. It, this is theology that is so accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really it, it's it's accessible, but it's also understandable. When when you and Kay wrote foundations, what were some of the things that you thought were just the essential elements that you guys wanted to make sure were in 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 this course on theology? Well, we wanted to make sure, obviously, that it, it had the basic doctrine of who is God, who is Jesus, who is the Holy Spirit, and explain mm-hmm. that uh, well. Uh, and we wanted to make sure we did it in a way that people could see, okay, how do, what's the first step of application of this into my life? What does this mean? So when you talk about God being a father, what does it mean to trust God as a father? Yeah. What does it mean for people who have had great fathers to trust God as a father? They've had a good model. But now they need to realize that that dad is not who they're trusting in, it's God. And what does it mean, especially for people who've had bad fathers, bad Mm -hmm. pictures of what it means to be a father on this earth, to understand what it means to begin to trust God as the father they never had. Hmm. A lot of people will say, I I can't trust God as my father because I had a bad earthly father. And to help them to understand, you need to trust God as the father you never had that meets needs that are at the depth of our soul uh, is very, very important. So Hmm. what's what's the... step of faith that I need to take based on this. At the beginning, we talk about you need to, when it comes to God's Word, and especially doctrine, you need to learn it and love it and live it. People have said that in a lot of different ways, but you have to learn it. You have to know the truth Mm -hmm. that's behind it, and you also have to live it. You have to do what I just talked about, figure out what's the first step I need to take. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of that is love it. And that is the missing step many times in discipleship, is mm. we teach the truth, and we say you got to do the truth, doable discipleship, but guess what? In the end, I'm going to do what I love. Mm. I'm going to mm-hmm. do what I love to do. Mm. So how do I start to, to love this truth uh, in a way that somebody would say, well, I love ice cream, I love dogs, I love my wife, I love the Trinity. Mm. One of those seems sort of out of place to us. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. It just doesn't... Yeah. So how do, you, how do you figure out how to love God's truth in mm. that kind of way, I think, is one of the keys. And what we came up uh, with from the very beginning was making sure people had a chance to discuss it with other people. Because uh, I think you learn to love God's truth as you see it fleshed out, lived out in other mm. believers' lives, see the impact that it right. has on other believers, not just your own life, but also other believers' lives. Yeah. We talked a little bit in the last episode about how important it is to, to, to have good uh, spiritual conversations with friends and how that can yes. that can really ignite a lot like of like we're thinking. having right now exactly spiritual yeah. conversation yeah I think we friends. actually <laughs> learn more than anybody in our audience whenever we yes. have these conversations um, but one of the action steps we gave was you know go back to your small group and just just bring some spiritual theological questions that you've been wrestling with and just talk that through because there may be someone 
that has an angle on that you've never seen before or someone yes. who can share with you a perspective that you never saw. And it could be, in fact, I've found very often is the case there, and this is extremely true with foundations because these are such core questions that are tackled there. Um, but I think you also find that other people are asking and thinking about a lot of the same questions that you are. Has that been your experience? They are, and they're also having the same struggles yeah. as, as you have. I yeah. think, you know, we when you talk about the Holy Spirit, uh, people, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. How, do, how does that power feel in my life? I right. think that's the struggle. And I think most people feel like I've never felt the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I, I, as I talk to people, that's the common feeling. And so to say to people, you don't you don't feel it. It's yeah. not an emotional feeling. Yeah. It is a truth of what God does in your life. And, and in fact, there's many things that are powerful in your life that you don't mm-hmm. don't feel. And yeah. really trusting the power of the Holy Spirit is moving ahead sometimes in spite of your feeling, knowing that he's going to be there, knowing that he's going to strengthen you. But yeah. I, there's just this <sighs> yes. in the room sometimes and people go, oh, I wasn't the only one who felt that way. Right. So when you come to the Trinity, you, you talk about, now this is a truth that confuses everybody. because mm-hmm. it's a, Why? Because it's above and beyond our human understanding. Yeah. I mean, God gives us some truths about it, but he also recognizes in that that it is about God. It's greater than you. Yeah. So when you say like in a study about the Trinity, if you can understand it, it's not God. Yeah. People go, oh, now I get it. <laughs> yeah. I thought there was going to come a day when I could understand it and figure it all out. Yeah. So I think that moment of, of seeing that we all have the same struggles with doctrine mm. is, is very crucial. Do you think that's one of the barriers for people that they feel like because they can't like fully apprehend it, that they're a little bit scared to just dive into that, to that realm of doctrine I and theology? I think that's the huge barrier with maturity. Yeah. I think new people come into the church, I don't know where I'm, and they feel like they're here. And they look at all of us that better the church. We may have been there five years or a year or whatever, mm-hmm. and they see us as up here. Because guess what? When somebody says turn to the book of Revelation, we can turn mm-hmm. right there in our Bible. Yeah. Or we can quote some Bible verses, or we know the right words to say, or you know, we know when to stand up and sit down in church, all that stuff. So they see us so up here, and they feel like it is absolutely impossible for me to bridge that gap. Mm-hmm. It just feels totally impossible. Mm-hmm. And so I think in relationship, in friendship, in discussions, people begin to discover, okay, wait a minute, they're like, okay, <clears throat> more like here. They're yeah. just a normal human being yeah. like I am who have, has learned some things. Mm-hmm. So relationships are important. But I also think the small steps that we provide at Saddleback, many churches provide of growth like class, like classes that you can go to, mm. those are crucial too. Because the only way, if you, and, and, and you did actually grow, you have grown in your life. You've been a Christian for 10 years, hopefully. But you didn't get there all in one day. Right. It was through these small steps that you took time time by time. Mm. So giving people the way to take those small steps so they don't have to feel like they have to bridge the gap all at once is is really crucial. Yeah, that's so good. I, I think one, one thing that I loved was... Uh, you know, going through Bible college, and then just go, even coming out of high school and starting to study God's Word on my own for the first time, and I I came to a realization that was really encouraging for me that um, really intelligent people believe what we believe that that yes. we don't. What we said in the intro is that you don't have to turn off your brain to become a Christian. Yes, and in fact, we, we reference Romans twelve two that you ought to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not by the putting aside of your mind or any of that stuff, but that you ought to grow in this respect. No, and, anybody, anybody, yeah. and you, all kinds of people are doing this in culture today, acting like Christians are not thinking people or stupid right. people. Well, I don't want to call them stupid, but they're uninformed. They obviously mm. haven't studied history. Yeah, The most thinking people, the most informed people in history have right. been Christians. Mm. Yeah. So to, to make a statement like that, it's a good emotional statement. It can get you like yeah. people, but it says they haven't even spent five minutes studying the subject. Right. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was so encouraged to learn that really brilliant minds throughout history have believed in the, the clear truth of the Bible. And I, I love that. And I also was encouraged to find out that if I felt like you were saying a minute ago, like I didn't understand it all, I wasn't dumb. I was just like every other Christian thinker throughout history who hasn't been yes, able to fully understand yes. our Creator. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That is a helpful moment. Yes. Yes. I can still remember when. So I'm dissimilar than you, Doug, in that I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't mm. go to Bible college. But I remember the when I started coming to Saddleback in the early, I mean, the late 90s. And then eventually became a member, took foundations back in like 2004 or something. Mm. And I thought, oh, theology, there's just no way. And, you know, being able to sit down and have uh, Pastor Tom and Kay and and uh, these other teachers go through this theology and help me to, one, understand it, but also mm. dispel some of those myths maybe I was holding yes. and carrying. And, 
And, you know, and then also that shared struggle that Pastor Tom, you were talking about that we, we, we get people in the conversation, we get people in the dialogue and Doug, you and I see this now all the time when we teach foundations Mm -hmm. and that shared experience of people saying, I thought I was the only one who didn't know, or I thought I was the only one who didn't understand. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, you know, there's, or I thought it was unknowable. Right. Right. Or I didn't think there's a way to live this out. I thought it was Mm -hmm. just some abstract thing to know, but I didn't see the application in my life. Mm. And that, I mean, that's the heart of doable discipleship. The, the love it and live it part. Yes, yeah, the yes, doable yeah, part. Yeah. So why do people hate doctrine so much? Because a lot of people, they just want to stay away from it. Uh, there's, I think there's a lot of reasons. I, I, I think a huge one is they feel like doctrine creates arguments and mm-hmm. that it divides us. And there is no doubt you can create an argument really quickly uh, by talking about things that we disagree about. Mm. I think that's Satan's strategy. Hmm. I really do. I, I think that he wants to keep us from these truths that are the foundations of our lives. And there's no doubt that with any many of the doctrines, there are points where we can disagree in Scripture. Let's take the second coming for an easy example. Sometimes when I read second coming books, the, the people who write about other believers that they disagree with, it sounds like the other believer is the Antichrist. Hmm. And I think, wait, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're missing the point. You yeah. have agreement on the most important thing, Jesus is coming again. Yeah. So bringing out that agreement and not letting Satan get us caught up in this thing that causes us to lose the security that we need. Uh, one of the advantages we, I think, have at Saddleback is we've got so many new believers. So it causes us not to get caught up in discussions we've been having for 20 years. Really, what, when the new believer we're talking to them, they need to know that Jesus is coming again. Mm. They need to be secure in that fact. They need to know some of the doctrinal disagreements about that, about the the uh, the tribulation and about the rapture and about all the uh, discussions that we might have about that pre, post, mid, trib, all the, all those beautiful words. <laughs> they need to know about that because they're going to hear about it. But they need to know that Jesus is coming again and love that truth in their mm. lives. And that's so true. You know, our last session of foundations that we taught when we end on you know the second coming and there was a guy in the class who had been an unbeliever the entire time and he grasped onto that truth that was something he could hold Mm. on to like and and all the different theories and approaches and you know ways to think about it he's like but in the end, Jesus is coming. He's, Jesus is coming. <laughs> I better do something about this. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, he made a decision. Right. Well, you're we, still we're, praying we're, for we're him. Still praying Wait, for I wanted a great end to the story. <laughs> that's well. Sometimes that's <laughs> what know. real life doesn't always have. <laughs> yeah. the well, the we're great planting and is, watering. He's you know. still coming back. Yeah. He's still yeah. coming. Well, back. he's a goner. Yeah. Then he's if still, he's listened to all yeah. this much scripture, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's he's getting ready to make a decision. Well, I think it speaks to Saddleback. Just you know, people can feel comfortable even hearing some of the most hard hardest truths. Mm. They still feel comfortable and loved here. So yeah. that's I think that's the doable way to do theology. Tom, do you think that there's a now you talked about why people hate doctrine or why they're afraid of it. Do you think there's a do you think there's a a faith aspect to that as well where people are afraid to ask or go after some of those tough questions because they may be uh afraid that the answer might scare them or that they may not there may not be a good answer out there for that. Like a, a complex, challenging question, they're afraid, well, if I ask this question, what if I don't get a good answer? What happens to my faith? I think then? that's that's definitely true with some people, mm. but not the majority. Mm. I, I really think the majority have this feeling that I want to have good relationships, loving relationships with other believers. Doctrine tends to do something to that that divides it, that, mm. that creates uh, argument. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who feel like maybe it is hard to understand, but I think mm. it's the relational part that has, it's sort of a line that we've been fed that's just not, we can make it true, but it doesn't have to be true. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Tom, I'd love to hear a little bit personally from you. Can you, can you think back and recall um, some personal spiritual breakthroughs that really, where you maybe just discovered or rediscovered an important truth about God that really was transformative for you? Well, I think a lot of my spiritual breakthroughs have had to do with the habits of maturity. Mm. I think what we do every day creates this atmosphere. You know, Richard Foster said that, that the habits of maturity don't create growth. They just put us in a place where we can grow. Mm. So I, it, I think for me, those moments really, even though many of them were long ago now, because mm. I'm a little older, stand out very, very strongly in my, in my mind. I mean, I yeah. can still remember as a senior in high school going to camp mm. and, uh, professor from Biola happened to be there and was teaching on how to have a quiet time. Mm. 
Hmm. And I'd heard about it, but I'd never done that before. And so that's where I started having a quiet time was at that camp. And I can, I can still close my eyes and picture like the stump that I sat on when I first started having my quiet time. The wow. memory is so strong of, of that beginning hmm. moment. Uh, I can remember uh, as a, as a, young pastor going through some crisis moments five, six years into ministry, and uh, again, being up in the mountains and talking to the Lord, and uh, the Lord saying to me just very clearly, Tom, you get to choose. Your, your life can be a lonely experience of failure or a shared experience of victory. Hmm. And he was talking to me about relationships and not living as this solo leader. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm leading the way out here in front of all of you, hmm. but living in relationship with other believers and and uh, what we've now come to understand is a small group. I mean, in those days, it was all Sunday school. There were no small groups in the churches that I was in. Uh, and Sunday school, I mean, you got that hour on Sunday morning. It's a very relational time. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it happened. Most of the times it didn't. Mm-hmm. In small groups, when you meet in a home, it's a natural relationship place. Yeah. So I, I began to make this commitment to being together with other believers in, in, in a small group. So mm-hmm. the, those moments, to me, most powerfully stand out. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my quiet time, every day, the Lord has something to say that gets me through that day, that strengthens yeah. me in that day. But it was yeah. the commitment to that habit that has created all those moments. Yeah. That's, that's it great. reminds me, something you said once was about, um, you know, yesterday's devotion is not enough for today. It's yeah. a manna kind of thing almost. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't last into tomorrow and a lot of people think well i don't remember it i don't remember what my quiet time was like three weeks ago like they have to have this bible study program through their quiet time but if you think of it more as spiritual food i don't remember what i had for lunch three weeks ago but it nourished me right so what what are you what are you getting that nourishes you just for that day and Mm -hmm. it's it's amazing i know you know this if you're spending time with the lord in a daily basis how often what he says to you in the morning matches what you needed that day in a way that you could not have known but the, mm. but the lord knew it in advance yeah has there has there ever been a that you can kind of think about maybe a theological issue or bible topic or issue that you wrestled with um to come to clarity and and how did you wrestle with it like what was your what's your approach or your your methodology to kind of what are the tips or tricks to, to thinking through a topic you're wrestling with. Well, very very early on, I uh, I as a brand new believer, uh, the first thing that I wrestled with was the uh, subject of creation because I loved science. I mean, I mm. still love science. I still love to think about physics and uh, all all the all the things that God has created into the scientific world is just amazing yeah. to me. Uh, so as a new believer, I was trying to figure out how do you put uh, evolution and God together, and I came up with my own idea. I, I called it Crevolution, that you know <laughs> God did it through evolution. And I remember some good, strong Christian friends at that time. I was telling them my new idea. They'd been believers for quite some time, and they understood that there were some things in the way I was talking about evolution uh, that really said God wasn't a part of it at all, mm. that it just happened through natural chance. And that that didn't fit with a God who is a personal creator. But instead of telling me right away, hey, that's totally wrong. Let me tell you why that's totally wrong. They just gave me some books to read. They, they gave me some verses to read. They let mm. it slowly dawn on me, mm. which was, I think, many times how God has changed my mind in things. I think when we find people that are like, oh, maybe they got it wrong. I've, I've many times talked to a new believer, maybe in my office. I'll give them some things to read or some things to think about. And then they'll come back a couple of months later and go, how did you even talk to me when I was last time here? Now I see. <laughs> but they came to the conclusion themselves instead of you like, hey, I'm the great teacher. I know all the answers. And yeah. now they know the rest of their lives. They can come to the answers themselves. And also there's this, this relationship with the Lord they've strengthened and established in that moment. So very early on, those, those friends taught me that. Hmm. And, and again and again, that's been a truth. So it's almost, you know, kind of paraphrasing, it sounds like, you know, instead of us as believers saying, hey, I will be the sage, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to be a, try and be a, a, a loving guide and, yes. and kind of come alongside, you know, people. Yeah. I think- now, there are some situations, obviously, where you have to stand up and say no, you know, because if, if somebody's walking into the street and they're going to, their life is going to get destroyed in that moment, if they're saying, you know, I really believe uh, God wants me to get a divorce. 
I'm absolutely mm-hmm. convinced that this is God's will for me, you know, and I'm going to go file papers today. Then you can't say, well, let me give you a few books to read. Think about this for a few months. So there has to be a balance with everything. Mm-hmm. But in everything, mm-hmm. as much discovery as people can do for themselves in relationship with, with, with the Lord, it's going to be stronger. Because mm-hmm. yeah. then they're not relying on you. They're relying on him, relying on his word. Yeah. Jesus really modeled that by asking a lot of questions rather yes. than, I mean, he made plenty of statements, certainly. Yes. There was a lot of Just think of what he could have told statements. his disciples, what they were doing wrong. <laughs> oh you dummies. Yeah. yeah, no, he saved that for the Pharisees. He was pretty gentle with the rest. But yeah, asking questions that help people to, to move through, a, to kind of move down the theological road or move down the doctrinal road for themselves yes. so that as they, as they uncover these truths, I, I always I think we can always internalize uh, and appreciate things that we sort of discovered as part of our own journey rather than just what was said to us. There's something about that that is yes. more strengthening and seems longer lasting because you're able to process it in a way that will really connect it to your heart and soul. Um, so yeah, Jesus modeled that. I think I, I think that's one of the other great benefits of foundations that it includes questions for discussion that will help people wrestle through it within their own minds and not just. So you're not just being told something, but you're discovering it along the way as well on your own. For whatever reason, uh, I think all of us, we have a certain measure of pride in our lives that we have to struggle mm. with. I sure do. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, <laughs> if, anybody yes. wants, C.S. Lewis said if anybody wants to be humble, the first thing to do is to recognize that you're prideful. Mm-hmm. That's where you have to start, that we struggle with it. And we struggle with it with doctrine. I mean, yeah. I do, we all do. So there's this moment of going, oh, maybe I got that wrong. Hmm. And what are you going to do in that moment? Try to prove yourself right in your mind or go down the road of, well, what, what is the right thing? And I hmm. think for all of us, we, we tend to tip a little bit towards, I'm going to prove myself right at hmm. the beginning and being able to let go of that as quickly as possible, hmm. because it's about God's grace anyway, is uh, I think one of the crucial things about learning. Finding our identity in Christ and not so much doubling down on thinking we're right on things. Yeah. Yeah. Some people become Christians because they want to think they're right. It's unfortunate, mm. but it is one of the sicknesses of Christianity is we're right and the world's wrong. Mm. So we get together on the weekend to talk about how right we are and how wrong the world is, and we walk out feeling morally superior to mm. everybody else. Wow. That so is a good. mouthful. So good. <laughs> if this mic wasn't a stand, you could drop it for sure. <laughs> oh, goodness. Tom, you've alluded to this, and I think you've sort of partially answered this along the way, but what should a person do if they encounter a question that's just really um, just giving them a hard time? Like they, they, they just get stumped by something. What's a good next step for them to take initially? Well, don't search it on the internet. I wish that worked. I wish it worked. Siri, what's the hypostatic union? Abraham yeah. Lincoln said that's the best place to find your answers. <laughs> yeah. I, I read that on the internet. Wow, exactly. Yeah. A real yeah. prophet. So uh, you used to be able to do that early on in the internet. Mm-hmm. You could do that. But now it's, now it's the comment world, and you can't quite yeah. figure that out. Yeah. And even trying to find a good book about it can be really difficult. Yeah. What's the best book to read about uh, doubts that I might have about the deity yeah. of Christ or struggles that I might have about the security of my salvation? Hmm. Uh, what's Finding that book amidst all the books that are out there is very, very, very difficult. Right. So you have to find a trusted place of teaching. That's what a church is all about. Hmm. Uh, first, hopefully in your small group, you have some people that you can turn to. But if not, you've got a spiritual maturity team at Saddleback hmm. That if somebody called and said, hey, do you have a good book on how to make sure I'm secure in my salvation? Mm. Our team would love to answer that question. I mean, that's what we're here to do. Mm. And then once you know that answer, then you start passing it along to other people and it gets out to everybody. Yeah, that's great. You know, one of the things that we're we're kind of dancing around a little bit is, but is this the topic of apologetics. Mm. And I'm just wondering, Tom, kind of. Over your years of experience in dealing with theology and doctrine and answering these questions, how have you seen, uh, or how or how do you see the approach to apologetics changing? It, it seemed for so long it was so much start with evidence. Um, do you think the culture is still there? Is that the starting place, or is there is there another angle or approach that? I, our friend Lee Strobel, I think, is the best apologist of our generation in many mm-hmm. ways. Uh, he didn't come at it from a theological mind at the beginning. He came at it from a legal mind. Uh, but then he added theology into that. But also, Lee, if you listen to the way that he teaches, and he didn't necessarily do this at the beginning, as a lot of things I didn't do at the beginning as a teacher. He also adds a lot of relationship into it. 
And so here's how this works with your relationship with God. Here's what this means. So it's not just a matter of proving the facts. Some apologists, they just, it's just like one plus two plus three plus four plus five equals God. Mm-hmm. You know, one plus two plus three equals God actually is what it would be, right? All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's okay for a certain mindset, but it's more than science. It's a relationship with God. So adding in the relational components and what that means and how that impacts us, I think Lee does a, a tremendous job of that. I think uh, many times apologists, uh, even in this generation, they take on a Christians versus lions kind of thing, where mm-hmm. it's us, the Christians, trying to beat the unbelievers. Uh, and it's almost like they're stronger. You know, They're mm-hmm. the lions, they're stronger, and we're going to come up and we're going to create some victory. Well, the truth of the matter is we're stronger. And this... This feeling of, uh, of, of being uh, oppressed by culture, that's true. We are persecuted in the culture. Mm. But it's our faith that's going to last forever. Right. And that's why the first Christians were able to sing when they were being burned at the stake or be able to pray when they were in the lion's dens or being attacked by the lions because they knew they had this security. I feel this insecurity sometimes with Christians today mm. wow. that wants to prove how strong our faith is by having this debate with a with a somebody who's uh not who's an atheist usually right and i don't know sometimes those debates are the same people several times over and over again and guess what the christian always wins because it's always 90 percent christians in the audience mm-hmm. and that's not really what i think of when i think of an apologist i think of somebody like lee who's applying it to real life mm-hmm. and real relationships yeah, that's, you know, part of my story is most of my family and friends are not believers. I did not come out of a believing background. And so, you know, even just recently being around family and those, they start to go down the road. And, um, you know, I've always just felt like what and you're kind of saying this too, Tom, is just to make sure I'm minding the relationship. And I'm, it's, it's not an argument to be won. It's a conversation mm. to be had. But I, I want to make sure I love this person. They're my family. Yes. Um, and so it's, it's not about winning some kind of argument. Um, you know, I have Christ, and I know that mm. I'm secure in that. But it's how can I lovingly share and look for even places of mutual agreement where they didn't even know there was mutual agreement. I'm yes. like, I bet you believe this. And I'll, I do believe that. Well... <laughs> Where do you think that yeah, comes sure. from? The Bible. Yeah. So, <laughs> yes. And, and actually, and I'm going through Acts right now in my quiet time. So this morning, I was reading about Paul gets kicked out of another town. It kept happening and happening. Uh, and I was thinking, whenever you share your faith, you're either going to be rejected or ridiculed or received. One of those three things is going to happen. And if you share your faith, one of those things will happen. So you can't keep from being ridiculed sometimes. You can't be keep from being rejected sometimes. There's no doubt about that. Because if people don't want it, they're going to push back. Right. The only yeah. way to make sure they don't push back is not to share the message at all. Right. But if I don't share the message, nobody's going to receive the message. Mm-hmm. However, what you're saying is really true. Sometimes we share it in a way that they're not rejecting the message, they're rejecting us. Yes. We're, we're doing it in a way, we almost want to be rejected, like it's my Christian hmm. badge of courage or something. <laughs> yeah. So you got to add the relationship in, which takes time. Right. And that's the part I don't like, right? I mean, yeah. the time part. I want to just share the message, they come to know Christ, boom, I go on to the next person. <laughs> Microwave? You know? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, that's the way we all want to do it. Yeah. I see the guy, I go in his carriage, boom, he comes boom, to boom. know Christ, yeah. he's baptized. baptized, boom, I go off to somewhere <laughs> hey, else. Hey, look, water. But, <laughs> Let's baptize while we're here. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not the way it happens. It's in this relationship struggle mm-hmm. that we have with people uh, that they come to know Christ. People usually aren't argued in... I don't know if they're ever argued in being a Christian. They are always loved into being a Christian. Right. Yeah. That's true. And Pastor Rick talks about that too. He's like, we don't, we, there's no sense in arguing people who are into an enemy. You know, mm. we, we win our friends. Yeah. We, Sometimes yeah, we people don't. have a genuine question, and it's okay to have a tough discussion yeah. about a genuine question. But then you get to the point where they just like to argue, or maybe you just like to argue. And mm. Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Rob and I like to go around and around meetings from time to time. All in fun, though. That would be its own episode right there. <laughs> Some of the teammates So we're going to stop this right now and have a brief <laughs> yeah. counseling session, yeah. and we'll be right back. Yeah. My sleeves are already rolled up, pal. Let's do this. Maybe a longer counseling session. <laughs> yes, yes. I'd love to touch on drive time devotions a little bit, Tom. Uh, it, I, I think it's... I think it's pretty much without a doubt the the most influential. It's with it's the most influential podcast at Saddleback. It's one of the most powerful digital tools that 
I think Saddleback Church has to offer. And you've been kind of steadily plugging away at that for such a long time. How did that, how did that come into existence? I'd love to hear the history of that. Well, I, when I first came to Saddleback, my first 10 years, I was the pastor of spiritual maturity, like I said earlier, and I taught through the Bible on Wednesday nights. Mm. And then without going into a longer story on that, uh, when we stopped doing Wednesday night Bible studies so that we could have a stronger uh, s- small group, uh, number of people in small groups, uh, Buddy Owens actually gave me the idea to call it Drive Time mm. Devotions and to teach through the Bible the same things I'd been teaching yeah. on Wednesday nights. And I, 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 I like the idea, as we were talking about it, the very first time immediately for a couple of reasons, real strong reasons. Mm. Number one, I felt like I think more men will do this. Hmm. A lot of men couldn't come to midweek Bible study because they were still on the road Yeah, right. uh, coming back. Uh, not that women aren't on the road. Many are coming back, but hmm. in the just the, the percentage of people that could come to Bible study, right. uh, I noticed a lot of men can't come or... Yeah. Maybe it's our, you know, we got to rest at night because we mm. work so hard during the day. Yeah. When women are working twice as hard during the day, and then they work all night long. I don't. Maybe it's our psychology that <laughs> says yeah. that. I got to kick back. It and shows watch our sports. weakness. Yeah, I you think know, it's it psychology. Could be, yeah. It could be either of those. But either way, they weren't there. Yeah. So I found a lot more men would do it because mm. you're on the road, you're in the car anyway. Turn off sports radio for ten minutes. Listen to a Bible study. Turn yeah. back on sports radio. God can work in your heart. Mm. But I also liked it for everybody more because I felt like it got the Bible and the teaching of the Scripture into people's lives where they are. Mm. Sometimes we get into this, come to church, hear the Bible, go out and live my real life. And they're yeah. not really connected to each other. Mm. And one of the things that happens in small groups and also in drive time devotions, it's not this you know holy huddle or holy sanctuary thing learning the Bible. It's I'm listening right now in the morning and my kids are screaming. And I yeah. just listened to something about you know how to have patience. Yeah. It's a little more. It's a little easier to connect it. How much road rage do you think has been prevented <laughs> it's not by drive time? That, that happened, but it does happen many times. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. so true. That's one of the big reasons why this podcast was born. You you blazed the trail on that ahead of us, but this is the idea of getting getting scriptural content into the normal stream of people's lives, rather than always saying you need to. Quit that and come to this other thing in order to get God's word. Right, you can insert God's word into the natural, just people's day to day lives. Yeah, the natural flow. Yeah, the it flow goes back to life. the habits too. You know, it's it, the, it, it solves. It starts to solve a huge problem in the mm. Christian church today, especially the American Christian church, where we actually have sort of divided off our faith. You know, we we have strong faith at church, and then we live another life at home. Mm. There's all kinds of statistics about divorce, about pornography, about drugs, involved, Christians being involved in all these areas of life where you go, how did that happen? Mm. And, and obviously, we've walled things off. We, we, we yeah. feel we love the Lord when we're at church. We're singing to Him. I don't think people are lying. I, mm. I really don't think most people are. Yeah. But we love the world when we're in the world. Mm-hmm. And we've walled it off so much that our discipleship hasn't made its way into mm. our lives. We're all going to struggle with that the rest of our lives. I sure am. Sure. Yeah. But we got to get a little bit better at that. Yeah, well, that's certainly the tool. I, I brought this Bible. Uh, maybe the audience can see it is filled with. It's not these a are new Bible. These are all. <laughs> yeah, these are all sticky notes of Tom's drive time devotion teaching that I've been going through the New Testament for. And um, one of the things, if you don't want to buy a a gross crate of uh, sticky, <laughs> sticky notes, notes. <laughs> uh, a couple of the books that Tom has done are actually available in these. This format, these books, you guys can look at. Um, Some people like to read yeah. instead of listen. It's great. So, so yeah. Tom has Philippians. He has Ephesians, and it's uh, he takes the drive time content and puts it into book form. It's great. Um, you don't have to destroy your Bible like I'm doing to do it. And uh, encourage you guys to check that out. It's at pastors.com. You can order these. And the, the app, uh, drive time app, is on iTunes and it's on Android. Mm-hmm. Also, the iTunes website. It's an excellent resource too. If you're looking to search, Lots for, of if you're looking to stuff. search for information on mm-hmm. the Bible, Tom has it laid out book by book. So I encourage you to go to drivetimedevotions.com. Take a look at that as well. Yeah. It's a great tool. Great tool. Yeah, Tom, you talked about um, uh, habits or disciplines of personal spiritual growth. And one of the ones that we champion at Saddleback. That's one of the the big the big four we teach in class two hundred one is the habit of Bible memorization. Yes. Can you talk about the influence that has on the development of our mind and how that helps us to grow into the image of Christ? Well, I'm a, I'm a big believer in Bible memorization. As a, as a brand new believer, still late in high school, I was just starting to date Shondell. Mm. Uh, Shondell and I met uh, as seniors in high school. 
and began dating. She was 16, I was 17. There's a song in Sound of Music about us, actually. <laughs> and uh, we began to go to different Bible study stuff together. We, we went to, there was something way back then called Bill Gothard's Basic Youth Seminars, which had a lot of crazy ideas in it that you can still read about today. But one of his best ideas was a real strength in memorization. He mm-hmm. challenged people not just to memorize verses, but he said, you can memorize chapters. Mm-hmm. Well, we both had fairly good memories. That was one of our strengths. So as part of our dating life, we decided to start memorizing mm-hmm. uh, chapters of the Bible together. So like uh, Galatians 5 was the first one we mm. memorized together. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm. Don't be subject again to a, a yoke of slavery. But then later it has the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, yeah. patience, kindness, all those things that are in there, the power of God's Spirit in our lives. So we began to to memorize together. Well, we went to college together, and we decided we didn't want to marry during college. We had three years to do in college uh, that we wanted to marry after college. So mm-hmm. we, we were going to be dating for almost four years. It ended up almost five years. Uh, so Feels what like a hundred. What do you do? When, yeah. What do you do? <laughs> you know, I mean, we were Christians. We wanted to live a pure life. We wanted to live a sexually yeah. pure life. We didn't want to have sex before marriage. And so what do you do together for five years <laughs> to five be long together? Long years. years. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we started memorizing chapters and then books we memorized ephesians together and philippians together you know a lot of sexual tension so there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of opportunity to memorize i i always encourage people during your dating life a great thing to do is memorize memorize scripture because it does tend to head you down the right right road yeah well that memorization that we did the benefits i, I just can't describe the, mm-hmm. the number of times when my mind is headed down the wrong road wanting to do the wrong thing think the wrong way and all of a sudden, there's this stop sign of God saying, here's why not to go that way from some verse in Scripture. But there's not only the stop sign. You also need to memorize enough that you see the other road sign. Because mm. yeah. I don't want to just stop all the time. Don't do that. Don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. Where am I supposed to go? Right. Yes. You know, flee youthful lust. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from mm. a pure heart. So what not to do, what to, to do, and who to do it with. So this idea of, of, of God saying, no, you need to go that direction instead, has been extremely powerful mm. in my life. I think one of the, we talked a little bit in the last episode about, um, about one of the great ways to sort of gain control of our mind is to develop new habits of thought, that we tend to, many of us, when, Your mind gets in a rut. Yeah, and we it does we, the same thing again and again. We dig grooves. Yeah, yes. and I, That's I've why always we found... get into sin patterns or uh, selfish patterns or yes, or, or exactly. self. Uh, sometimes we just destroy ourselves when we should not be. Yeah, self destructive. No, patterns, I, right. I love you. What What are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> and I've always found memorization. I think one of the great benefits is it gives you new options, like you were just saying. It it provides you with a new way of thinking about something. Like, oh, when this kind of thing happens, I don't have to go straight to fear. I don't have to. Right. I don't have to reinforce this habit of thought where every time I deal with something that that causes me fear, I I end up thinking of these worst case scenarios, and I end up enveloped by anxiety and all exactly, this. Exactly. I right. can develop a new habit, and God's word and and the practice of memorization can open my mind to to the the various options that God has laid in front of, of us at each of stage. Of all the verses I've memorized, the one I've brought to mind more often than any other by far mm. is Philippians 4, 8. Whatever's mm. true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, if there's anything of good report, anything that's excellent, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Mm. I, tens of thousands of times I brought that verse to yeah. mind because I've needed it. Tens yeah. of thousands of times, you know. Yeah. Instead of thinking about this lustful thought, I want to think about whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely. Mm. Instead of thinking about this anxious thought, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely. Instead of thinking about this angry thought, whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely. Mm. And you're right. God's word in that moment has the power to change your mind, but only if you do it. Yeah. You can't use it like as a rosary bead thing yeah. where, where it's going to magically work. Right. I got to actually think about what's true. Yeah. I mean, the verse, I have to do what the verse says. Mm. It's not just thinking the verse that changes me. It's, okay, what is true? What is honorable? And that's when my mind mm-hmm. starts to change. Yeah. Well, I had to, because that's the verse I quoted before. Uh, <laughs> yeah. introduction. There we go. We're on it. <laughs> um, Tom, I heard you once talking uh, to a group of interns here at Sawback about... Um, 
sometimes using a, a different translation of the Bible to memorize that it helps you. Um, are any any tips there? Well, the easiest translation to memorize is the hardest translation to understand, King James. Mm-hmm. When you're a kid in school, you memorize these epic poems sometimes. And one of the reasons it's easier to memorize them is because of the unfamiliar word order. It's actually easier to memorize something in an unfamiliar word order than a familiar word order. Hmm. And so you can memorize in King James, but you got to go through this exercise of, okay, what does that mean in English today? Hmm. Uh, One of the uh, uh, translations that actually uses a little bit of unfamiliar word order that's easier to memorize from is New American Standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, if you study Bible translations, one of the goals of New American Standard is to keep, especially in the Greek, in the New Testament, the Greek word order as closely as possible, which creates a little bit of tortured sentences sometimes yeah. in the English, but it actually makes it easier to memorize. Mm-hmm. It makes it more distinctive so it stands out, I yeah. yeah, Yeah, so if you have a hard time memorizing uh, a, a certain version, you might try a different version and see if it makes it easier for you. That's it definitely great. makes it easier to memorize word for word because if you memorize something that's in your normal vernacular, it's easy to start getting into the paraphrase game where you start just sort of yes, saying yes. roughly what the right, passage says. But right. if you memorize it in something that's outside your typical language, it kind of forces you to the word the word for word translation, it does. which is what you want to do. You don't want to warp God's you don't want word to in your mind your or paraphrase. <laughs> yeah. What's the use of that? Yeah, the Doug <laughs> Jones translation. Nobody wants that. <laughs> well, we're getting close to wrapping up, but I have a couple more questions. I just thought would be interesting to talk about. In chapter 18 of the Purpose Driven Church, um, Pastor Rick's writing about this idea that there was um, these core books that Salbach uh, thought was so important for members to, you know, to, mm. to start with. You know, we're a church built on new believers, so where do you want to point new believers to? And there was these five books, um, if I remember right, Genesis, John, Romans, Ephesians, and James. Yeah. What, why those books, Tom? Well, it begins with... A lot of people want to go to the book of Revelation first. Like, wait, I want to go understand <laughs> Every this. Every men's study <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. Do Revelation! And you know if you study the book of Revelation, the only way to understand it is to understand the rest of the Bible. Yeah. You've got to understand most of the Old Testament to really understand the book of Revelation. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have to understand some things about the apocryphal, uh, apocalyptic literature that they used in those days. Uh, so to start there isn't going to help people because they don't have the foundation yeah. that they need. Yeah. So the reason for those books is is obviously you need to study one of the Gospels. You need to start with the New Testament before the Old Testament. So you got to study one of the Gospels. You need to understand God's grace and how God's grace works in our lives. You need to understand what that means in practical relationships. So you go to the book of James for that. And so that's at love. You need to understand love and the power of love in our lives. You know That's the most important thing we do is love mm-hmm. God and love each other. Yeah. So it really has to do with... How do you how do you live out the commands of Jesus? Mm. That's what discipleship is. You know, command yeah. them to do everything I've taught you to do. What did Jesus teach us to do? So those books, I think, were chosen more than anything because they help us to start to learn to live out the commands of yeah. Jesus. Yeah. You know, and if you guys are just getting started reading the Bible, I would encourage you go um, go to Tom's uh, app or go to the website and find that study on the on either Genesis or John or Romans or Ephesians or James and just start and and dive in. Pick a translation that you think's easy to understand and just let Tom kind of guide you through. But pick one of these five books to start. Mm-hmm. Don't go back to Revelations. Don't go to <laughs> yeah. one of these prophets that you're like I don't. I'm not sure. Especially what's don't start with Leviticus. You'll, yeah. be... <laughs> <laughs> You'll stop quick. <laughs> Something about sheep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot about yeah. dead sheep. Well, those will take you through a lot of big, important themes of the Bible that really overarch, that will really kind of reinforce fundamental saddleback too. Just kind of our approach to things as well. You see, Tom, what about some books that have been influential for you? Can you think of not books of the Bible, but books that have kind of helped shape you mentally over time or intellectually over time? I'm I've always been uh, impacted by biographies very Mm. strongly, and so as a new Christian, I read uh, Dawson Trotman's biography, Mm. Dawes, very powerfully impacted me. Uh, the kind of faith, uh, Dawson Trotman was founder of the Navigators, mm-hmm. uh, died early in an accident. Other people had to take over and continue the movement on. But reading the kind of faith that he had, um, but also picking up, in an honest biography, you can pick up from some of the uh, things that somebody did that you think, hmm, I, I might need to learn to do something a little bit differently. Because mm-hmm. uh, he had the kind of commitment that kept putting him in the hospital again and again and again and again. He loved Jesus, but he couldn't quite figure out how to allow that commitment to get any measure of rest in it. Mm. And so reading that, I think, has been helpful to me. But it didn't need to be a Christian biography. I mean, Mm. reading biographies of American presidents, 
I just finished uh, uh, David McCullough's, uh, not biography, but study of how the Brooklyn Bridge was built, which hmm. to me, as a pastor who's trying to build bridges all the time, was incredibly yeah. inspiring. The amount of work they had to do to build that bridge. Yeah. And I think, and I think okay, w- what we're doing is more important. The bridge we're building is going to last longer. And to think we can do it in just a second without any work, yeah. God's given us work to do, you know. Yeah. So, so for them, it was like each of the each of the cables has enough wire in it to go across the United States, but they had to go back and forth, back and forth, back wow. and forth. That goes back to your relationship thing, bringing somebody to Christ. I don't just share with them once; it's again mm. and again and again. And we're in, a, yeah. in an easy consumeristic world. I am too, where we want instant results all mm. the time. Right. And reading some of these things about people who made great impacts on the world. And the amount of effort, the amount of energy that they had to put into it, it gives me some realism. Yeah. And the coordination, I'm sure that applies. I'm thinking of a large church like Saddleback, and you're in such a key leadership role here, that this is a big, complex, coordinated effort. And it requires, like you said, a ton of effort from a ton of people to, to pull yes. this off. And, and of every course, one God's of those biographies shows that it's the person that's not noticed, actually. Mm. The, the soldiers in Washington's army. Mm or the workers on that bridge who really yeah. are doing the work that makes all the difference. Mm. We may know somebody else's name, right. and their leadership is very important, yeah. but it's the people whose name you don't know who's doing the work mm. that creates the great things that God's doing. Yeah, yeah. so true. That's powerful. Want to do that last one, Rob? Yeah, last question. Um, I know there's, you know, we were all influenced by people. Rick has always talked about these these mentors through his life, you know, Billy Graham or Peter Drucker and others. Who have been some people? I know you've mentioned Ray Stedman before, but who are some other people? Some some maybe names that we have we don't know are, are these newer Christians don't know that are heroes of the faith for us early on, mm. um, in in your kind of growth and development. Yeah, we all need to have mentors from afar. Yeah. I think people who have inspired us by the way that they live, and certainly Ray Stedman, who who began in many ways the small group movement in his church, and what happened with that has been one of those. Uh, not just a mentor, but a hero to be, as Johnny Erickson taught her. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that she decided, uh, most of you know the story, that as a young girl, teenager, she was paralyzed. And she made a decision to live her life for Christ. She made a decision to make the biggest impact she could, even in the midst of terrible circumstances. Mm-hmm. Not to let those circumstances govern her life, but to let her faith govern her life. And uh, she's a hero to me a hero of the faith to me in our generation. And many people have seen that. Many people have been encouraged by that. But that's another mentor from afar. That's Mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Tom, thanks for sharing. Would you mind just praying for our viewers and listeners and closing us out that way? I'd be privileged. Of course. Let's pray together, everybody. Lord, thanks for everybody watching or maybe just listening right now. And I know they're listening because they want to grow. They want to get closer to you. And so my prayer is that some one thing we've said, one verse that we've shared would be the manna that's needed for today. Just give us strength for today. And my prayer also is for some that something we've shared, it would turn their mind to start to think in a different way, maybe about relationships, maybe about small groups or habits or memorization of your word, that there'd be this turning point, this pivot point where all of a sudden we think in a new way, a fresh new way about your love and what you want to do in our lives at that point, Lord. If you're doing that in our minds, help us to see it right now and to follow after what that might mean. Lord, we don't want to just say we're disciples. We want to be disciples. We want to live out what it means to be a follower, a loving follower of Jesus Christ. So we pray together that you'd encourage and strengthen us in that today because we need your strength. We can't do it on our own. Strengthen us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks so much for joining us, Tom. Thanks for being here, Tom. Thank you, guys. All right, everybody, we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. If you're a podcast listener and you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. And if you're thinking, hey, listening's great, but is there a way I can watch these episodes? Yeah, there is. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for video versions of these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you're already watching us on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows, your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week.